Greetings, and welcome to another episode of Autism Annex, the Star Autism Support Podcast. Regular listeners to the show will have noticed that there's been a short pause between episodes this fall. And, well, as many educators and families know firsthand, the start to the new school year has been anything but predictable. I'm your host, John Andrew Slominski, and I'm glad to be back with you. This unpredictability, though, got us at the show thinking, what does bring predictability and stability to our lives? And more to the point, how can we harness the power of predictability to help students with autism? Any answer would need to be framed, of course, with the goals of enabling students to navigate the world with joy, success, and independence. What immediately came to mind was routines. Routines of all sorts, from arrivals, to washing hands, to having a conversation, permeate all our school, home, and community settings. In this month's newsletter, and in this podcast episode, we explore routines from multiple angles, and discuss the ways in which routines can be powerful tools in the classroom and beyond. In this episode, I have conversations with three guests, a parent and administrator, a teacher, and an autism training specialist to gain their complementary and overlapping perspectives on routine teaching. Thanks for being with us. I'm very pleased to welcome my first guest, Mark Howard. Mark is a training specialist at Star Autism Support and has worked with schools throughout North America, Portugal, and China. Mark, we began the episode talking briefly about unpredictability. Having worked with STAR curricula in so many locations, what have you observed is predictable and consistent from one location to the next? So I, I think the consistent thing uh, about routines and all the different locations and places we visit and help provide services for is just kind of the foundation of the science behind teaching routines. So using task analysis, breaking things down, what a routine means, um, and the fact that regardless of whether or not you are in Portugal, China, Puerto Rico, uh, Indiana, California, Canada, it doesn't matter. Your life is likely comprised of a series of routines back to back to back to back all day long from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. Since our lives then are made up of a constant stream of routines, surely we know them when we see them. So much so that we likely become unaware of many of them to a sort of an unconscious degree. To gain a little bit more awareness, though, would you break down a working definition for us of what makes a routine? You kind of hit the nail on the head there. A routine is, is, is exactly what it sounds like. And it, it really, if you're going to break it down and define it, uh, a routine is any activity that occurs at a predictable time with a kind of a regular set of steps. And if you think about, again, going back to that um, adult life analogy, uh, really it's you do a series of routines every day, kind of at the same time, usually doing the same thing. And that might include brushing teeth, uh, cooking, washing the dishes, driving to work, uh, and so on and so forth. So each of those is a series of events, basically a chain of behaviors that happen that constitute a bigger idea, which is the routine of, you know, hand washing or brushing teeth or getting in an argument with somebody. Those are all things that have a predictable set of steps that happen each time. 
The STAR curriculum, for instance, teaches routines very explicitly. How does this approach benefit students in the long run? Well, that's a great question. I think the, the biggest reason to kind of explicitly teach routines is to really promote independence and self-management. You know, when I, when I work with younger students, uh, you know, whether they're in high school or elementary school or even PK, I try to kind of imagine them as 25-year-olds having a job and a social life and a home life and a family, kind of living an independent um, adult life. And it helps to do that because that's going to help me teach independence now while they're still younger uh, for these routines so that they have an opportunity to be more independent as they're older. And there are a lot of other reasons to teach routine routines too explicitly. Predictability can be beneficial for all of us. We all feel better when we know it's going to happen next. So decreasing anxiety for students uh, by explicitly teaching routines is really critical. And then, uh, you know, it also op it gives the opportunity for kids, uh, students to generalize and practice skills that they learned in social and academic instruction. Now, admittedly, there's a risk of overgeneralizing here. So with that risk in mind, I still would wonder, how can routines be especially helpful? Routines can be uh, specifically helpful in that we are teaching that independence. We are providing a pathway towards more successful communication and social interactions, which uh, can be a challenge for uh, many people. And then it also has some built-in and collateral things that happen when you teach routines to kids with autism and other developmental disabilities. And that's the increased use of visual supports, for example. Um, we, uh, kids with autism frequently, uh, benefit from the use of visual supports. And if you're doing routines and you're doing them well and you're implementing those in your classroom or in other settings, then you're likely using visual supports, which, which will help kids and students with autism. Mark, as an experienced instructor, can you speak to the ways in which you determine what routines to teach a student and when? Sure. I think the ultimate thing to think about, um, and just like anything that we do, is to meet people where they are. And in, in the classroom, what that might look like when you're picking a routine to teach would be looking at an assessment or data. Where are the students' challenges? Where are their needs? Where are their strengths? Picking routines based on that. And if I'm a teacher, that's going to be the, one of the first things that I do. I'm going to look at an assessment and determine kind of where the next step is. Uh, have you mastered the arrival routine? Do we need to make that a little bit more complicated and challenging for you? Have you, uh, do, does your IEP say that you need to work on hand washing at a certain level of independence? Have the parents expressed that there's a routine that a, a kid could do better at at home? Maybe uh, mom and dad or grandma, grandpa, whoever the caregiver is, says to the teacher or any of us, hey, we really want our our son or daughter to be part of a family game night or to have a chore uh, as part of the family. So there, that's where it's all about meeting with the kids where there are. There isn't a great perfect formula. It's all data. Sometimes that data is, uh, is from an assessment and sometimes the data are from parents and caregivers saying this is what we'd like uh, our kid to focus on. There are so many techniques to use really effectively in the classroom, including pivotal response treatment and discrete trial instruction. 
So what are some of the risks of leaving routines in the dust? Uh, again, the risks are going to depend on the, on the kiddo uh, and, and the student or the young adult. It depends on what we're working on, but the risks can be many. The ones that, that worry me kind of on a regular basis and keep me up at night, at night when I'm thinking about routines is if we're not teaching routines or you know giving any focus to routines in our classroom instruction or our daily lives, there's a real risk of kids becoming prompt dependent or uh, what we call learned helplessness, where, where students are basically dependent on other people to the point where they don't need to be. Now, we all are dependent on other people for things in our lives. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But what I'm saying is if you're not teaching routines and there's unnecessarily learned helplessness, um, that can be really dangerous because kids can become uh, so dependent on other, on other people that they can't fulfill a life that they want to fulfill or the, reach the goals that they want to reach. You've clearly highlighted independence as a core value and hopefully a result of routine teaching. How does that independence emerge from the teaching as a student goes from, say, requiring constant prompting to being able to use skills with total independence? So it can emerge in a lot of different ways um, and kind of depends on who's involved with teaching the student the routine, uh, whether or not those things are happening at home or school and the, and the caregivers and the teachers are kind of all on the same page, making sure that they're doing, uh, taking a similar approach. But, but ultimately, the, the best way to work through a task analysis, bre breaking down those skills into smaller chunks and then teaching each part of that chunk a little bit uh, specifically, and then reinforcing that specific step. So an example would be, you know, toothbrushing, right? That's kind of an easy routine to think about. Initially, if you think about the way you were, you probably don't remember it, but somebody, somebody in your life at one point was providing full physical prompting for you. They were taking your hand and they were putting it on a toothbrush. And then they were maybe even helping you put it in your mouth and maybe even physically helping you move it back and forth and reinforcing you for each one of those tiny little steps. Over time, now it might have happened pretty quickly with you. I don't, I don't know how good of a toothbrusher you are or how fast you learned. Uh, but over time, that person who was teaching you how to brush their teeth eventually faded back those prompts. So you were getting a lot of help to begin with, you know, full physical prompting. And then over time, that prompting was faded. And now I'm using that example of toothbrushing, which is a very simple, basic thing, but that same method of providing prompting and providing a lot of help initially and then fading that out over time works for routines that are much more complicated. Again, having an argument with a spouse, applying for a job, driving a car. We all started these things getting a lot more help. And then we may not remember it, but somebody faded that help over time. It's the same thing that we're doing with our students with autism and other developmental disabilities. We're taking a big concept, idea, chain of behaviors. We're breaking it down into tiny chunks. We're teaching those chunks with, with prompting. And then we're making a really concerted effort to remove the prompting. I always used to tell my paraprofessionals in my classroom, if you're working yourself out of a job, you're doing a good job. Uh, and so that's how we go from that help and the prompting down to independence with regardless of, again, whether it's toothbrushing or uh, 
flying a space shuttle. Those are all routines. They got help. The help faded. If you're just joining us mid-episode, my guest has been star autism support training specialist Mark Howard, who has given us a great deal to think about surrounding the importance of routines. Thanks for being on the podcast, Mark. It was good talking to you today, bud. My next guest, Dorlise Vida, is a parent and is almost single-handedly responsible for bringing evidence-based practices to the Puerto Rico Autism Project. Welcome, Doralise. Could you tell listeners a bit about yourself and uh, also how routines have impacted your family? Well, I'm Doralise. I'm the mother of Sebastian. He's 13 right now. He has been in, in the curriculum for quite a long time. I would say five or six years now. Um, he's, he's getting to be a teenager, so <clears throat> I could see... I mean, the value of transitioning from start to link um, as he grows up, you know, so so we keep learning with the curriculum and and with Sebastian as well. He's been through through many of the routines and we sometimes you forget how many skills he's built throughout the years because he's kind of like a ladder and they, you know, they become part of the daily routine and you forget that at some point he had to be taught um, that skill. Um, so it was nice to think about just how, what, what his path has been, you know, in the functional routine piece. Doriles, what examples from Sebastian's life can you point to where he's being successful as the result of routines? Well, um, there's all sorts of examples. I mean, at the community level, I could I could definitely think like Persianci and going to the um, I before I didn't take him to the supermarket. Now is his favorite activity. He even asked, "I want to go to the supermarket hallway pickles," and he kinds of enjoys it because he understands it. So um, that's one of the most obvious ones. Um, the others that might still seem simple, but are important, um, crossing the street, asking for help, um, um, around the home, he's pretty independent in getting dressed and doing his bath routine and picking his clothes. Laundry was awesome. I mean, that even organized me. I have to say, <laughs> so there's all sorts of skills. Now he's doing at school recycle, um, kind of as a pre-vocational skill um, rather than a home skill because in Puerto Rico, the culture of recycle is, you know, it's, it's not home base yet. Um, and he's doing great. So there's all these small skills, medium and, you know, really important skills that he masters. Um, the other day I was saying, and I talk a lot, so this is just an interview. I was saying that at some point, um, a few years ago, I cried because I couldn't cut his nails. And you know, this fatalistic um, thought came and said, oh my God, how am I gonna do this as he grows up, whatever. Um, these are the sorts of things that get parents really anxious. Uh, and the other day I was, telling him let's cut your nails and he brings everything and he's ready to go and he almost does it by himself i was thinking just to think that this seemed impossible a few years ago you know but those small things really make a difference in the day-to-day -day life uh, for him and for the family 
Now, you have a particularly unique situation, which we'll talk about in a moment, but how has the relationship been between your home life and Sebastian's school? Well, that's, that's, that's the important thing about knowing the family's perspective and priorities, because in our case, um, community life was so important. So I think the communication be- between schools and family ha- really makes a difference because I have pushed for um, that set of skills to be developed because it's important for us as a family to go out to dinner, you know, trying to, you know, um, keep him involved. In- so community has been a-, a big achievement, a combined achievement between family and school. I mean, and the entire culture of the school is now oriented to community life uh, because i think it's it's so important for families you know well-being as they grow up so we try to engage him in a lot of family uh, community activities and as we said you do have a unique situation in communication with sebastian's school right well (laughs) This is a unique situation because I founded the school. So I'm the president of the board. <laughs> so it's not the case for many parents, but this school was founded based on our beliefs that kids with autism should, you know, get enriched activities in, in community life and vocational and inclusion. And so, however, that's how I found Star and Links. Um, however, uh, due to that priority, the entire Department of Education now does start a link because we brought it to Puerto Rico uh, and tested it. So um, now many schools in Puerto Rico have it. So, you know, a, a little push made a big difference for the entire country. How did you first become acquainted with STAR and links since neither existed yet in Puerto Rico? When Sebastian was diagnosed and I was advised of his needs, I started looking for places and I, I work in academia, so I am very oriented to evidence-based um, practices. So I started searching and I couldn't find a lot of evidence-based practices in the island. So at that time I decided, look, let's make a foundation and we did. And then I started working with the Department of Education and they also were very worried about evidence-based practice for autism. So one person in the department and myself started, and another friend started searching for evidence-based practice. And we found Star and Links. And Star and Links was willing, the only company or curriculum willing to translate it in Spanish because that's a unique thing for Puerto Rico. We are Spanish speakers. So we, we contact them and they were so willing and we, we brought the idea to the Department of Education and they were willing to fund a pilot study. So now people, when you talk to them, um, you can really make, see the difference that they, they are practicing evidence-based things, you know, and they talk about visuals and they talk about ABA and they do so, and the parents too. So throughout the years, it has made a huge impact. It has. Doriliz, thank you so much for sharing about your family, Sebastian, and your school's journey. For listeners who are interested, how can they learn more about your school? It's called Centro de Estimulación Integral. Um, and, and 
the, we're everywhere. We're on Facebook. I mean, it's long. Centro de Estimulación Integral in Cataño. It's been a pleasure. We appreciate your time on the podcast today. Sure. You too. Take care. I've just spoken with Doreliz Vila, president of the board of the Centro de Estimulación Integral School in Puerto Rico. My next guest is Tiffany Guare, who is not only the program coordinator at the school, but also happens to work directly with Doreliz's son, Sebastian. Welcome, Tiffany. Hi, John Andrew. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. How did you become part of the Centro de Estimulación Integral community? I know Doris um, like forever, like since I, I was a kid. And she had, she had um, one, one son and we studied together. And then she had Sebastian. And when she had Sebastian, um, that's how I, start, I started working with him. Just imagine a person with some curls and with blonde hair, and he was super cute. So that's how I met him. Um, then I knew about autism because they diagnosed um, Sebastian with autism. And that's how I started um, doing my voluntary hours with him. Now, you've observed Sebastian for a long time as his teacher. How have you seen routines be meaningful for him? When, when he started the intervention, um, when he was a little kid, when you compare it to how he is right now, he has, his progression has been very positive. And I think that's key for autism population, you know, that that they could receive uh, interventions since the beginning, since the diagnosis, you know? Um, but routines for him are, are super perfect. Um, I think that he, he could make the, the ability to just following a video modeling and then he could, he could start to do the routines. And also I could say that at first, when I started to teach some routines with Sebastian, I started with the things that he really likes. Um, so that's how I, I attack that. Um, and I noticed that he loves to watch Netflix. And yes, he likes to watch Netflix in his iPad, but I noticed that he didn't know how to turn on the TV and put some Netflix and put his favorite movie. Um, so I transformed that in a routine. As you're teaching a new routine, like you've described for Sebastian, how do you break down the component steps into more manageable units? First, we teach the vocabulary. I think that's essential because sometimes we we wanted to make sure that he learns to to do something with some objects, but maybe um, the student um, don't know um, the the function of that object or the name of that object or what things can I do with that object or. Um, 
maybe how can I so um how can I ask for this object? Then um, we will go with strips to show him the expected behavior for those steps. And also um, for the routines, we will we will make a lot of simulations. And before we do all of that, we will make a task analysis. That's how you called it. You just break down all the steps that you have to do to make sure to complete that routine. Washing hands, for example. First, you have to open the door, then you have to turn off, to turn on the light, then you turn on the, the faucet, then you have to pump the, the um, soap. So the, there are a lot of steps in those routines and it's very complicated. Tiffany, what advice do you have for teachers and caregivers who may be struggling with teaching a particular routine? Yeah, um, for the first one, don't give up. The second one, be consistent. And the third one, um, I will say that if it doesn't work with one thing, try another thing. Um, maybe maybe it's the color, maybe it's the size, maybe um, it's my approach. Um, so there are a lot of things to consider. So, in a nutshell, be flexible and creative as well. Important advice for all of us. Tiffany Guare, thank you so much for joining us from the Centro de Estimulación Integral in Puerto Rico. Thank you so much, Andrew. Bye. And thanks as always to you, Autism Annex listeners. You can always find more content by visiting us at starautismsupport.com and clicking on Newsletter. This month's newsletter complements this podcast episode on routines. Join us there and subscribe for all the latest updates. The Autism Annex podcast was developed by Star Autism Support. Katia Merjan does work behind the scenes, and Sheila McGee provides consultation on content and media. I'm John Andrew Slominski, and as always, I'm delighted to be your host, engineer, and producer. We are always interested to hear from you, and you can reach us at podcast at starautismsupport.com. Until next time, take good care of yourself and one another.